0: So currently in Canada, we're sitting at about 76 unique herbicide-resistant weed biotypes. Um, And that kind of puts us, I guess, in third place as far as the most number of (laughs) herbicide-resistant weed biotypes um, behind um, Australia and the United States.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Farming Smarter podcast. These podcasts are brought to you in part by Farming Smarter, the Lethbridge College and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a joint federal and provincial government initiative for agriculture. Your host today is me, Mike Gretzinger, the research coordinator at Farming Smarter. And I'm joined today by Dr. Charles Geddes, a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada based out of Lethbridge, Alberta. He leads the Weed Ecology and Cropping Systems Research Program, which focuses on discovery, monitoring, and management of herbicide-resistant weeds in Western Canada. Charles grew up on a mixed cattle farm near Pilot Mound, Manitoba. He graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Agroecology and a PhD in Plant Science with a specialization in weed science from the University of Manitoba. Dr. Geddes has a special interest in novel herbicide-resistant traits. He currently leads prairie-wide research projects focused on management of glyphosate-resistant kochia, weed seed bank management, integrated weed management in soybean, and development of revitalized long-term agroecosystem experiment within AAFC. His areas of interest include herbicide-resistant plants, plant ecology, weed seed banks, agroecology, and long-term experiments. Welcome Charles Geddes. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay. So I wanted to start, I, I noticed you grew up on a farm uh, and then you became a farm researcher. So, so tell us a little bit about growing up on the farm and uh, how you got involved in agricultural research.
0: For sure. Yeah. So, so growing up in, on, on a farm, basically, we, uh, the farm was in southern Manitoba. Um, so we, the, the farm mainly focused on, on cattle production and forage production. We also did some grain as well. Um, and it kind of, my, my interest, first of all, in in weeds, I guess, started on the farm, right? Of course, as a, as a typical farm kid, a lot of, a lot of the summer is spent pulling weeds on the farm, right? So, so you gotta, it kind of started thinking, there's gotta be a better way. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But, uh, but really my, my interest in, in, in weed science kind of grew when I started farming with, with my parents, right? So Um, we, we were doing some grain farming and had, uh, we took over, um, a, a rented corridor section, um, that, that my dad and I were farming together. And basically the, um, we didn't really know what problems came along with that. Right. And, and one of the, one of the big issues that we ran into was herbicide resistant wild oats and, uh, Basically, that's kind of where, where my interest in weed science kind of started and, and my interest in herbicide resistance.
1: So they, they pushed you maybe to pursue academics rather than stay on the farm? Um,
0: they, initially, they did, I think. Yeah. They, they were very open to, to either one. Um, okay. the, my plan throughout, uh, throughout university was actually to, to return to the farm um, and then, and then that changed a little bit as as we got farther and farther into into academia and uh, and just different studies, right? So
1: yeah, well, that's I'm glad you stuck around. We're really happy. I think it's your you said two and a half years at Agriculture AgriFood Canada now.
0: Yeah, that's right. So so I moved out to to the Lethbridge area in uh, in the summer of 2017 and and took over a. Uh, a research program that was that was quite well equipped to do field research, um, and and the uh, the research that w- that we're doing has kind of exploded over the last couple of years. So we're we're quite busy.
1: Oh, that's really great. So we're we're going to hear a bit more about that research later we're going to talk a lot about weeds and weed resistance though today and so I, I wanted to start with maybe some some really simple definitions and some concepts just to make sure because there's things I know I struggle with and I and I should know and you know kind of when they they go around and, and do those funny tv shows and you know they quiz people on the street and they ask them what's a GMO or something and, and nobody can really give you a definition and I feel like even within our our ag community, a lot of people maybe struggle with weed weed resistance and what it is and how it works. so we'll talk a little bit about that first I think um so one one funny thing I wanted to ask you is just kind of like what do you consider a weed? what's the definition of a weed for you?
0: Sure, yeah so there's been there's there's been a lot of definitions of what is a weed, right mm-hmm. um, in general they call, they all get back to to the concept um that a weed is essentially a plant that is out of place, right? So it's all open to to your specific interpretation, right? Do you want that plant to be there? Um, and if you don't, then then it is considered a weed. Doesn't really matter on the species.
1: No, I like that. That's that's actually probably the definition, the first one that I that I heard that really resonated with me. So I like that uh, a plant out of place and. And ironically, a lot of the weeds we have here in the prairies right now probably started as somebody's beautiful ornamental plant from, from Europe.
0: Of course, yeah. There, there are a lot, of, a lot of weeds that we deal with in our cropping systems that were introduced as an ornamental at one point in time.
1: And so, so that's a little bit different maybe than, than what the problem we have with some of the weeds now, which is, which is moving into weed resistance. So, so can you explain what exactly that means by, by herbicide resistance? In weeds?
0: Sure, yeah. So, so the, uh, the definition of herbicide resistance in general, this, this might not be the exact um, wording, but it's basically the, the ability for a, um, a plant to survive and reproduce following um treatment with a dose of a herbicide that would normally be lethal to a wild type plant of the same species right so and what we mean by wild type is is basically how that plant would be naturally in the environment right so um so resistance is is something that is a result of a selection pressure um, forcing that population to evolve resistance to the herbicide so if you compare that to to um, herbicide tolerance which is different. Um, okay. So, herbicide tolerance is the ability for a plant to survive a herbicide application in general, right? So, it uh, it's not the result of a selection pressure. It's just that that weed particular weed species is naturally tolerant to that herbicide um, in the environment.
1: So, so to to maybe clear up some misconceptions, then there's a non lethal dose that you know you could apply to a certain weed and that, that wouldn't kill it, but at the lethal dose it would. That's not the same thing when we're talking about herbicide resistance?
0: No, so, th- so that's not the same thing. Um, so so all, all herbicides have a, a certain rate that we would be using them at um, in our cropping systems. And those rates can vary depending on the crop sensitivity as well, right? But in general, um, those rates are set to be a lethal dose um, for the weed species that they're targeting. Right. Um but if you if you are applying rates rates that are sublethal or below the labeled rate, then and the weed's not controlled, it's certainly not considered resistant.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think that's a maybe a common misconception that I hear about that, you know, applying a non lethal dose is something that causes the resistance and what we're saying is that the herbicide resistance is just a, a natural thing that happens. There's a genetic mutation or ability of enzymes to change and adapt, and therefore those weeds are are no longer controlled. And after a certain number of cycles um, or life cycles for those weeds, they just become resistant, and that population spreads.
0: Right. So, so there are there are different ways that herbicide resistance can evolve. Right. So, um, just touching back on on non lethal doses. Right. So. That actually is a way that herbicide resistance can evolve. Okay. Um, but if you are applying below the labeled rate and it's not controlled, that's not considered resistant, right? Um, but over time, um, if, you, if you're applying sublethal doses, you can select for a certain type of resistance. So as far as herbicide resistance is confirmed, or concerned, there's, there's different types of resistance, right? Or are different mechanisms of resistance. So, in general, those are organized into a couple of different categories. The first is target site resistance, and the second is non target site resistance. Um, so, target site resistance is um, basically it gets back to herbicide activity. So, when, when a herbicide enters the plant, right, it, uh, it binds to, to an enzyme target site, right? And when it binds to the target site, it is inhibiting or um, reducing the activity. Of of that enzyme, or the ability, um, or we'll say, or the ability for that plant to have a certain metabolic function, right? Um, so it it um, so yeah. When the herbicide binds to binds to a target site, it's inhibiting um, something to do with either um, plant metabolism or physiology, right? Um, okay. So target site resistance results in, from a, uh, a random and natural mutation in a weed, right? So these, these mutations happen at random. Um, they're very rare. But um, every so often you'll have a weed that has this mutation that confers a target site resistance, which basically reduces, um, reduces the ability for the herbicide to bind to the target site and have its activity. Okay. So that's target site resistance. But if you look at non-target site resistance, um, there's several different mechanisms of non-target site resistance. And one of the main ones is metabolic resistance. Um, and so getting back to these sublethal doses, um, metabolic resistance is a type of resistance that can be selected for by repetitive application of herbicide that's sublethal doses. So essentially... Um, the way metabolic resistance works is when the herbicide enters the plant, um, the plants, they, they basically start to detoxify the active ingredients in the herbicide, right? Um, so metabolic resistance is basically a selection over time or a building in that population um, towards plants in that species that have a higher and higher rate of metabolism for that herbicide right so it's breaking down the herbicide before it even reaches the target site
1: oh that's very cool yeah so the, so the first is is kind of equivalent you know we all have different mutations you might have one blue eye one brown something these things randomly happen within our within our bodies within plant cells things like that and the second is is more that kind of environmental Factors where we just kind of you know only the strong survive type <laughs> type resistance is that kind of the yeah, some basic yeah. summary of how that works exactly okay. so
0: so often for target site resistance it's it's a very low proportion of the individuals in the population have the mutation and repeated use of a herbicide at a lethal rate um, will basically allow for only those. Uh, with the resistant mutation to survive and reproduce right and those plants add seed to the seed bank and slowly you'll see a shift over to more and more resistant individuals in the population okay. whereas metabolic resistance um, can be selected for in multiple individuals at once right um, but you're just selecting for those individuals that have a higher and higher rate of metabolism
1: okay so I think I think we're clear on that then and hopefully everybody listening is as well. Uh, maybe we'll we'll go on to uh, maybe just look at if there's anything else that, that causes resistance or any other factors, or is it, it just really related to these two mechanisms? Yeah,
0: so there, there's, there's, first of all, there are other mechanisms of herbicide resistance, right? Um, but those two, um, basically metabolic resistance and target site resistance, are, are very large problems right now. Um, but as far as other things that cause resistance, um, so a lot of it has to do with the first of all the herbicide, but then second of all the biology of the plant, right? So um, herb- herbicides have a different um, selection pressure, um, and that can be related to the efficacy of the herbicide, but also um, when we're looking at weed biology, it uh, it can also be related to how many possible um, viable mutations could could actually confer that type of resistance in a plant, right? So, um, for example, we'll, we'll talk about the group one and two herbicides. Um, so group ones are basically your selective graminicides, so something that you would be using to manage a grassy weed in a grass crop. Um, and then group twos also um, a, a popular use would be for for wild oat management and, um, So those two herbicides comprise most of our post-emergence options for wild oat management. And wild oats are obviously one of the largest problems on the prairies. Um, So those two groups of herbicides have a greater selection pressure for resistance, and the main reason being that there are several um, mutations that can occur in a plant that confer resistance to those herbicides compared to some of the other modes of action where there are not as many viable mutations. Um, so that is one thing but then also there are several other factors like the genetic diversity within the species um, the rate of outcrossing within the species uh, as well as um, how much or what what we would call fecundity or the amount of seed that a plant produces right so an example being kochia um, it's it can select for resistance very quickly. And one of the main reasons is because it can produce 30,000 seeds per plant or more, right? Absolutely. Um, and another thing that I would mention is, is the persistence of seed in the seed bank. So we generally think of um, obviously l- long-term persistence um, being a problem with weeds. But actually, when we're talking about herbicide resistance, it's a short-lived seed bank that can be a problem. Because you can have basically, you can select for a resistant individual in one year, and then those individuals will ultimately emerge the following year if it has short short lived seed bank persistence or low seed dormancy, right? So you can see a rapid um, selection for resistance quite quickly.
1: All right. Well, you got me all worried and worked up about <laughs> weed resistance now. Uh, how how big of a problem is this across southern Alberta and, and Western Canada in general compared to, say, um, places like Australia? And and how is how is this, uh, how have all these factors and scenarios played into, you know, the growing problem of, of herbicide resistance or weed resistance?
0: Right. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that's, that's a big question. Um, so... In general, um, when we're talking about herbicide resistant biotypes, we usually talk about unique um, herbicide resistant weed biotypes and what that what we refer to there is a weed species that's resistant to a herbicide mode of action, right? So currently in Canada we're sitting at about 76 unique herbicide resistant weed biotypes. Um, and that kind of puts us, I guess in third place as far as the most number of herbicide resistant weed biotypes can. Com- um, behind um, Australia uni- and the United States. Um, so as far as herbicide resistance on the prairies is concerned, um, we, we do see um, resistance increasing. Um, so basically, we uh, one, one of the new pro- projects that, that I'm um, just taking over the leadership of is the prairie herbicide-resistant weed surveys. And... These surveys document um, resistance in um, over 20 species uh, across the prairies over time. So these these surveys have been conducted the same using the same methods since um, since 2000. And what we can do with that is look at if the uh, resistance in a particular species is increasing and and by what amount, right? So so those surveys in general. Um, have shown that resistance in in the prairies is increasing. Uh, we're, we're sitting at a point now where um, basically 50% of the fields have a herbicide resistant weed biotype in the prairies. Um, so obviously that creates problems for growers when they when they come to manage weeds.
1: And, and we know that those are commonly wild oats not necessarily cleavers in the Leth- Lethbridge area, but other parts of the Western Canada, yep. and, and Kosha, which is kind of your area of expertise.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those those three species are, are particularly problematic, right? Um, wild oats is by far the, the most widespread and, and one of the most difficult problems to manage on the prairies currently. So for wild oats, um, we have... We have resistance to Group 1 herbicides as well as Group 2 herbicides, right? Um, and we also have documented resistance to Group 8 or soil-applied herbicides as well. Um, so right now on the prairies, we're, we're sitting at a point where we see um, we see resistance to Group 1 and 2 herbicides in about a quarter of the fields on the prairies where wild oat is sampled.
1: Okay, and, and, and what about kosher?
0: So kochia is is particularly problematic in the southern part of the prairies, right? Um, So, not not as abundant um, as you as you move farther northward, right? Um, But, in in certainly in the southern part of the prairies, like the uh, the grassland ecoregion for example, kochia is the most abundant weed, and in part that's due to herbicide resistance. Um, So in kochia we have resistance now um, to group two herbicides. So to the point um, where we consider all pop- all populations in Western Canada resistant to Group 2 herbicides now, um, and we're s- we're starting to see the same thing with glyphosate resistance as well, which is a Group nine herbicide, right? So, um, glyphosate resistance in kochia was found in 2011, and in just south of Lethbridge here in southern Alberta, and over the course of um, Basically, the last almost decade, um, we're, we're at a point where glyphosate resistance is now in um, about half of the populations that we test. In the, so um, our recent surveys from Alberta show um, about 50% of the populations tested in 2017 were glyphosate resistant. Um, And then some of our more recent results from Manitoba um, have shown about 59% of the populations in Manitoba are glyphosate resistant as well. And currently, um, we're working with with researchers from Ag Canada in Saskatoon on the Saskatchewan survey. But I, I suspect it'll show very similar results.
1: Okay. So, I mean, that's, it's a little bit all doom and gloom, but uh, this has been happening for a number of years. And, and like we said, at least we're, we're only in third worst place right now. Um, but, but really, herbicide resistance has been because of some of the changes in our, in our cropping systems. Uh, you know, we, we had ch- a big change happened with uh, reduced tillage in southern Alberta here in the early 90s and a shift towards uh, herbicide-resistant crops. And, you know, I think there's probably been a lot of positive environmental stories, and this is probably just one of the things that is kind of a, a negative consequence of all the other good news work that's happened in agriculture. So um, obviously we're, we're well aware of the problem, and, and what are some of the things that we're doing to, to make things better in this regard?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, there's... Weed populations—they will—they will respond to whatever um, whatever tool you use for weed management, right? It just so happens that our our most commonly used tools are chemicals, right? So, so we're starting to see resistance to those chemicals, right? Um, but that this is why we we integrate um, an integrated or we we suggest an integrated weed management approach, right? Um, which essentially is using multiple different tools for weed management. So what I mean by that is using, you you can use chemicals, but also using um, non-chemical tools, um, which would fall into a few different categories. So those categories are cultural weed management, which is more of a preventative way um, to to manage weeds or to try and promote um, the ability for the crop to compete with weeds and reduce weed seed production. Um, so some examples being like increased seeding rates, reduced row spacing, um, crop rotation, right? So planning um, planning your your weed management program beforehand.
1: Yeah, and I've seen some really neat examples of that, like right out in the field, just the difference between, you know, say 200 seeds per meter squared of wheat versus 400 seeds per meter squared. And you almost almost don't even need an in-crop herbicide with the, the high seeding rate. And you can just, you can see visually um, really, really really obviously how, how big of a difference some of those management practices are.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like some some of our research on kosha. Um, so we're looking at um, integrating, we're looking at crop rotation, first of all, but we're also integrating some of the rotation in herbicide chemistries that comes along with that. Um, but in addition, looking at these cultural tools, um, specifically one experiment looking at the combination of row spacing and seeding rate, right?
1: Yeah, I think the row spacing and seeding rate is... is it's not that it's obvious, but I mean if you if you narrow up your rows and crank the seeding rate, more than likely you're going to compete the weeds and there's probably a sweet spot in there I imagine for different crops and things like that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty curious about the the rotational stuff. I haven't I haven't heard much about that and I'm not sure anybody else any, any of our listeners necessarily have so
0: Yeah, so so some of our rotation work it's it's in the early stages, right? Um but Essentially, what what we're looking at is um, is growing growing different crops at different phases in the crop rotation, right? And how um, the the rotation in in, or the options as far as herbicide rotation um, that come along with with crop rotation, right? So, um, essentially, we're we're taking a layering approach, or we're layering um, pre-emergence residual herbicides with post with the remaining um, post-emergence herbicides for kosher management, and um, the, the results from that are, are I think we'll, we'll see um, more clearly down the road. Um, it's probably too early to tell at this point, but um, what some of our work is suggesting is that there are some, some ways to optimize crop rotations from a weed management perspective when it comes to managing herbicide-resistant weeds like kosher.
1: Well, that's very interesting. I, I know we're we're part of a bigger study looking at at crop rotation and it's it's just interesting to see how big of an effect rotation has on just yield in general. So it's interesting to kind of take an an extra. Add an extra layer and look at something like uh, managing herbicide-resistant weeds on using using those rotational tools.
0: Of course, yeah, and so on top of um, so crop rotation and seeding rates, these are all examples of cultural weed management right? So, yeah, that's right. So another category um, of weed management would be mechanical, right, um, or physical weed management. So. So, I mean, one of the most popular, um, or one of the often thought of uh, tools, would be tillage, obviously, right? Um, which, which was kind of the one of the one of the um, predominant practices before we, we, uh, we sort of entered this herbicide, this area of herbicide resist, or herbicide management, right? Yeah, um, and that
1: was probably largely eliminated with the. the Push towards no-till, uh, of course. Farming, yeah, right?
0: yeah. So, so um, we all know that there's there are um, negative consequences that that come along with tillage, right? Um, but in in addition, um, I think using some of these tools in for patch management, right? So, so weeds they're inherently patchy, right? There's areas of the field where uh, that are much more dense than others, right? Um, and areas where certain weeds like kosher thrive the most, right? So those kind of like low-lying saline areas. Um, So I think there is opportunity to use some mechanical um, or physical weed management in those areas, whether it's tillage or mowing or or some other uh, form of physical disturbance, or even, say, harvest weed seed control.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and and actually, I think that kind of brings me to maybe the next next topic or area of th- things to think about. W- one funny thing you kind of got me thinking of is, is just you know we're maybe focused on the herbicide resistance, but you know even me- even mechanical. Have you, have you heard of weeds developing like mechanical resistance or anything like that, or uh, you know certain adaptations to, for that?
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, there there are definitely examples out there of weeds adapting to. Um, to selection pressure imposed by mechanical weed management, right? So, um, some some recent uh, evidence from Australia indicating that um, that harvest weed seed control. So, so using tools like um, like the seed destructor, for example, right? Yeah. Um, basically, managing weed seeds at harvest, right? It can actually, um, if used repeatedly over time, can select for weeds that that are shorter in stature and not captured by the combine, right? Yeah, um, that makes so sense. that's that's just one example. Um, uh, another example being, um, it may not be necessarily resistance, but but more tolerance would be um, weed species that uh, that. Um, reproduce vegetatively, um, something like, like uh, Canada thistle, where tillage, right? So tillage can break up root fragments and drag them around the field and basically expand patches of Canada thistle because you're, you're dragging wheats, uh, those roots to new areas, right?
1: Oh, so it just gets more and more complicated <laughs> the further in we get. Um, let's, let's go back to, uh, what we were talking about with, uh, the patch management, because I think that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. And I know that jointly we're working on a, on a project, uh, to, to manage those sort of things. You've, you've consulted with us quite a bit on, on the best maybe approach to managing patches. What are, what are some of the, some of the methods you think that are going to work the best for that sort of thing?
0: Yeah. So, I, well, I think there, um, Patch patch management it, it is going to be more and more valuable I think moving forward right because um, when we when we start to to use up some of our our best options for managing these weeds when it comes to herbicide resistance right um, I think patch management is, is a way that we can use maybe some of our our um, our older or newer technologies um, but. Maybe some of those ones that weren't necessarily sustainable at the field scale, right? So, like we're talk we were talking about tillage, right? For example, um, tilling small patches um, might be a viable option, right? Where you can you can still have those benefits of, of zero tillage on on the largest part of the field, right? Um, but those those smaller patches, you may um, you may benefit from from using tillage for weed management, right? Um, other examples being um, coming back to the cost of herbicides, right? So um, we, we always advocate using multiple effective herbicide modes of action, right? Um, but obviously using multiple herbicides comes with additional cost, right? So so the cost of, of purchasing those chemicals and applying them to, to an entire field versus the cost of uh, pur- purchasing, say, uh, another mode of action and applying it to a dense patch, right? Yeah. Um, so I think this is where um, this is where some of some of the technologies um, regarding um, mapping, right, of of weed patches, for example, and and where to um, where to apply these additional tools or technologies in an efficient way.
1: Yeah, that, that's really what the, the project that we're, we're doing right now is about. We're, we've got 360-acre fields that have been mapped with the Varus EM38 satellite topography, I'm, d- drones imagery, things like that. And, uh, you know, in the office the other day, Trevor was going through and basically training the uh, the software to recognize those patches of kosher And so kind of zooming in on, you know, really detailed images of the field... And trying to get it to recognize and hopefully we can build a prescription from that and then like you said come up with one of those one of those strategies to manage the kochia and then monitor it for a couple years and see see which are the which are the viable options and
0: yeah exactly and I, I think that that's that's a really good opportunity um to to try and um to try and utilize additional tools for weed management but also try and try and save farmers the cost of, of applying um, applying expensive tools to a large area of the field
1: yeah it's really it's really a win-win when you think about it that way I mean you're more than likely a, a farmer might end up spending less money get better product and get even better control and and bang for their buck out in the field so really kind of win-win uh, in the end. So is there anything else that you're working on in terms of research and, and weed management that we haven't covered yet?
0: Right, yeah. So, I mean, we we work on a wide range of things. Um, yeah. So so we, we did cover some of the kochia work. Um, another another interesting experiment that we're working on for kochia is looking at um, at cutting kochia at different times, right? So, um, it all gets back to the biology of the plant, and actually the fact that we don't even know at what time in the growing season kosher produces viable seed, right? So, um, a lot of times, I mean, kohsha is the first weed to emerge in the spring, but it's also the last, one of the last ones to emerge or to mature in the fall, right? So, um, growers, when they when they go in to harvest their field, they're having to deal with these these green lush patches of kohsha, right? Um, and often what they do or what they have to do is is harvest around these patches because you don't, you obviously don't want that green material going through your combine, right? Um, and kosher is actually, um, it's, it's a fairly viable feed, uh, for animals, right? So, um, a lot of, a lot of publications refer to kosher as, as poor man's alfalfa. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. But, uh. Yeah, so the the issue though being that if if growers are cutting these kosher patches and using them as feed or selling this feed off farm, we they could potentially be transferring herbicide resistance traits along with that, right?
1: Okay. So so um, there are actually producers using it as feed. Oh yeah, oh, yeah okay, for sure. And
0: and some of our uh, some of our our work that we've added on to this experiment is actually looking at the feed value of kosher at different times throughout the growing season, but also trying to correlate that with um, when the seed becomes viable. So is there an optimal time to come in and say, cut a kosher patch that will work well as an animal feed and still not have viable seed?
1: Oh, that would be really, that would be really interesting to see. It all goes back to that, that definition of what makes a plant a weed that you gave exactly. us in the beginning.
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of like taking lemons and making lemonade, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I, I, and when I think about it, there's a, there's a lot of grassland and pasture management, uh, type work that gets done and and you know i see what they're growing and doing out there and and my brain instantly goes weed because i'm so used to the cropping systems right but uh, like you said a lot of a lot of those so-called weeds make really good uh feed for for animals yeah
0: exactly and so um some of our other work is, is focusing on taking more of a preventative approach as well so so we have a uh a fairly large project across Western Canada that's focusing on soybean production as well, um, and looking at ways that we can optimize sort of an agronomic package for soybean to make them make the crop more competitive with weeds. Right. Um, so when we looking looking at the United States, we see um, several weed species, very problematic weed species that are that are resistant to glyphosate. And many of them were selected for in soybean cropping systems.
1: Yeah, the, the corn, soybean, you know, Roundup Ready system. I, they they kind of go hand in hand almost from that whole movement of that um, that cropping system corn, yeah, soybean, yeah, corn,
0: exactly. soybean. So. So, so for soybean, we're, we're looking at um, trying to optimize planting dates um, as well as looking at roast, sp- like row spacing, seeding rates. Um, ver- the variability among cultivars as well, like looking at um, soybean has has an enormous range of phenotypes, right? So looking at like a slender variety that's not very branching versus something that's very aggressively branching, right? Um, and as well as integrating things like um, looking at the effect of the preceding crop, right, as well as cover crops. And the, the interesting thing with soybean um, that we're trying is we're trying to use cover crops and um, pre-seeding crop stubble to drive down the available plant nitrogen in the system, going into the soybean phase of a crop rotation, because soybean nodulate and by- can fix um, nitrogen from the atmosphere, right? So, the, if we can drive down nitrogen going into soybean, that nitrogen is ultimately available to the weeds in that system, right? So we're we're trying to decrease the ability for those weeds to compete with soybean.
1: Right, you're doing, doing what you can to make it tougher for the weeds, easier for the crops. Uh, one thing that I that comes to mind whenever we think about uh, kind of those agronomic factors, or one thing that I think of in my head is is by doing all this do we sometimes make our, our crops more wimpy and make our weeds stronger? Do you know what I mean by that? Is that something you, you hear about or yeah, is a concern? I,
0: I think um, o- over time, a lot of breeding efforts are they they ultimately focus on crop yield, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean, for the most part, they focus on on getting a high yielding crop in a weed free environment, right? Um, and they don't necessarily focus on traits that would make that crop more competitive against weeds, right? Um, there are there are examples in in other areas of the world where they've actually um, focused on integrating um, crop um, or competitive traits into crops, right? So things uh, things like leaf area, for example, um, that that would help the crop close the canopy quicker and help compete with weeds, right? Um, to try and also integrate um, crop competition in there. As, as sort of a method to try and help mitigate the selection pressure for resistance.
1: Well, that's very cool. I, I had heard that maybe there was some some breeding efforts in that in that realm for those for those very reasons. Just there's a potential cap on how much yield you can breed into a particular plant, but at a certain point, there's there's a lot of other factors that you could breed in that make them a lot more robust.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean certainly, like what, even when when uh, when a grower is looking at at basically which variety to seed this year, right? Um, they, have, they have ratings on, they have the yield, right? Then they also have ratings on, on disease resistance, right? But there's really nothing telling them how competitive that variety is compared to another one. Um, and and we, we do know that that variety, or that variability among these cultivars or varieties does exist as far as weed competitiveness um, it's just something that that is undercharacterized.
1: okay well maybe I want to wrap up with this and and just get into the maybe a a picture of how we're doing like overall if, if, if you were to say how are we doing here in Western Canada and if you had some advice for growers producers out there what what are the things that you're maybe seeing that we should improve on and what are some of those strategies that you know we've talked a lot about different ones but what would be kind of your, your quick tips on you know just don't forget to do this this or, sure, or whatever yeah. it is.
0: Yeah so I mean there's there's things that we're doing right and there's things that we could improve on right. Um, so. Let's start off with the positive, <laughs> all right? All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so basically I, I mentioned that, that um, we do have, I guess we're in third place as far as unique herbicide-resistant weed biotypes. Um, we, we do have lower a lower number of resistant biotypes be, because basically we still have a fairly diversified cropping system compared to other areas of the world, Right. Um, again with reference to to many areas of the united states focusing on uh, corn soybean crop rotation right um, whereas we have have a good integration of of cereals oilseeds and pulses in our crop rotation right um, and and so one of the things that we need to do is is try and maintain that diversity for sure within our crop rotation because that we we're, we're definitely getting that right um so as far as things to improve upon, I mean um, in general, we know that I mean herbicides are, are a quick and easy method for weed management right and um, there's something that we want to try and maintain um, their efficacy into the future right And one of the, what, the main way to, to maintain their efficacy um, is to um, basically, I mean, the main way is to not use the herbicide as much, right? Yeah. Um, but also integrating in non-chemical weed management. That's that's the area where we need to improve upon. Um, so, obviously, there's as we covered, there's there's um, an abundance of ways that non-chemical weed management can be integrated into a crop rotation, right? Um, but I think um, focusing on, on thing on areas where we can add it in um, at sort of minimal cost to a farmer. Like we were talking about, um, like patch management, for example, um, using some of the new technologies as far as is mapping out a weed patch, right, and and actually adjusting your management practices based on how that weed exists in the field.
1: Well, that's great. I know one thing that I struggle with personally because I, I do a lot of the herbicide selection and planning out on our on our research farm is that, you know, sometimes I just get lazy and I've used something in the past and it works good and so I order the same thing again, not you know, putting the effort in to say, hey, I better make sure that I'm rotating a herbicide group or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah,
0: for sure. So that that kind of that that brings me to to one point that I think we should cover. Um, so. I, I certainly don't blame anybody for for going back to a herbicide again and again that that has been effective for them in the past right um, because um, and I, I think that uh, that that's obviously not a sustainable approach um, when it comes to using herbicides right and maintaining their efficacy into the future um, but I think that um, one area where farmers could benefit is knowing the the profile of resistance or the type of resistance that they have on their farm, right? So, um, so across the prairies, there there's um, there's several labs that offer sort of fee for service diagnostic testing for herbicide resistance, right? Um, and. Basically, by sending in samples to, to these labs, growers can figure out, is this weed population resistant to this herbicide, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a valuable tool when it comes to, to knowing which herbicides will be effective, right? Um, and that, that may help growers sort of get out of the rut of going back to that same herbicide over and over again.
1: So, so you're just leading me into kind of my my closing comment for you is that there there are some tools out there and there's a a program ongoing uh, for people who think they may have herbicide resistance in their field to get things tested and can you explain a little bit about what that is and and how they can submit a sample?
0: Of course, yeah, yeah. So, so we were touching on the diagnostic labs. So th- those labs um, they offer. Uh, mainly testing for for known resistant biotypes, right so things that we know exist on the prairies and are fairly common. Um, so outside of that, uh, when we when we start getting into the realm of, of something that is new or novel on the prairies, right? Um, so this this is sort of where where our lab can come in and help. Um, so what we do is we, we offer essentially free testing for for growers mm-hmm. for types of resistance that we do not know to exist in that area, right? Um, so, if a grower suspects that they have resistance to a certain type of um, herbicide or a certain mode of action that's uncharacterized, they can contact um, myself and and submit a sample, and we'll we'll do. Um, testing for free um, and essentially what that is is it's it's trying to get at sort of an early mechanism um, to to diagnose types of resistance at a point where where they can be managed before they come a uh, a very large problem right All
1: Right. and um, how do they how do they contact you
0: so yeah, they they can uh, the best way would be to to send me an email, right? So okay. so um, I mean you can you can look up my name online on the Google on Google um, or just email me. It's charles.geddes, G-E-D-D-E-S at Canada.ca.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much, Charles. And my thanks pleasure. very much to uh, the CAT program as well as the Lethbridge College for partnering with us here. And uh, we're going to have more from uh, Dr. Geddes. I'm, I'm quite positive that we'll see some of the, the results and some of the things from the studies he was talking about later on in the summer. So please join us for, for our plot hops or our field day uh, coming in the spring and summer of 2020. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening. This has been uh, Mike Gretzinger, the research coordinator for Farming Smarter. Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to this on SoundCloud. You can find us at FarmingSmarter.com.